Hello and welcome to the Zonal Marking Podcast, which is brought to you by The Athletic. I'm host Ali Maxwell and delighted to be joined today by The Athletic's Chelsea correspondent, Liam Toomey. Liam, hi. Hello. How are you? I'm very good. Yeah, I'm very good. There's never really a dull moment on the Chelsea beat. (laughs) It's always, always busy. Also here is The Athletic's correspondent for Tactical Trends, Michael Cox. It's not your official title, Michael, is it? No, but I'll take it. Thank you. Especially because last week, big piece analysing the tactical trends from the 2010s. Yeah, just looking at the stats of, of different leagues, really, and how they've changed over the last 10 years and how they compare overall more passes, fewer shots, shots from better positions. Interesting that the goals per game rate has gone up slightly while the number of shots has gone down. So, yeah, a little statistical quirks if you're into that kind of thing, which I very much am. Yeah, and all the meat on those bones available on the athletic site. Search for Michael Cox in the authors section for all of his tactical writing. Uh, What have we got in store for listeners today, Michael? What are we focusing on? Well, since Liam's here, we're going to chat about Frank Lampard and his kind of tactical performance as Chelsea manager so far. I think there's been broadly... A positive vibe about Chelsea's campaign, certainly in terms of results and particularly in terms of bringing through young players and the style as well has changed. But in terms of the real you know, nuts and bolts of the tactical detail, I don't think there's been too much focus on that. Um, and they've had some interesting results, both positive and negative uh, in, recent, uh, in recent weeks. So certainly worth uh, a chat about that. I'm also excited about this as someone who followed his season with Derby County last year quite closely. Tactics were rarely part of the discussion surrounding Frank Lampard's Derby County, as they were known. Uh, He very much favoured 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1, and it was rare that he moved away from that. But when he did, it it notably paid off against Leeds in the playoff semi-final when he went with a diamond. So we're going to look at how he's getting on at Chelsea in this regard. And Liam... Michael sort of touched on it there. I don't think the discussion of tactics forms a big part of the Frank Lampard as manager narrative to the same extent as it might do with a Klopp, a Guardiola, or in Chelsea terms, a Sarri, for example. Based on your dealings with him, with the club day to day, do you see him as someone who who thinks deeply about the strategy of the game by leaving that part of football out of our Lampard and Chelsea narrative. Are we missing something here? I think he does think quite deeply about tactics and about strategy, but I do also think it's kind of inevitable that the focus would have been on Lampard, the personality. Not just because we've always been sort of predisposed to think of managers and talk about managers that way until you had Guardiola come along and and Klopp and, and really start to change that. But I also think because of the shadow cast by Lampard, the player, he you know he has to kind of escape the shadow of of everything that he did. And in some ways, going back to Chelsea has has maybe made it harder for him to do that. But week to week, talking to him in press conferences and and just seeing the way that he approaches the games, it's clear that he he really thinks about each individual opponent, not particularly how to nullify them first he's certainly not a Mourinho disciple which I'm sure we'll we'll get on to he's he's very proactive with his tactics and and his general principles of play but he is willing to to go with different formations as he said he did with Derby last year he's he's shown that versatility at Chelsea and um and he he has stamped really a, a kind of burgeoning identity on this young Chelsea team which I think has underpinned their best performances this season and also some of their worst Yeah, we're going to get on to individual games, some against the teams towards the top end of the table uh, and some against the the rest of the Premier League. Michael, 
Is there a standard structure that's become recognisable when you're watching Chelsea under Frank Lampard so far this season? No, I think it's varied quite a lot. I mean, there's been a use of 4-3-3 and 4-2-3-1, which I guess are the two most dominant systems in modern football. He's changed on a couple of occasions with great effect to a three-man defence, first for the win at Wolves, the 5-2 victory, um, and then away at Tottenham, which I think is probably the most impressive Chelsea performance so far in terms of uh, Lampard's tactical decision-making. Sometimes I think he selected the wrong system from the start. So the game against Arsenal, where he did very well to correct things after half an hour by changing formation, I thought it was an odd decision to go with a three-man defence for that particular game. But all you can ask is that, you know, he's a young manager, he, he will make mistakes and he fixed that one pretty quickly. But overall, I've been quite impressed by him tactically. Yeah, and I think uh, the Arsenal game was a good example of uh, of him not being tied to a particular system. Certainly we saw with Sarri last year that he was tied to a fault with 4-3-3 and his, his certain idea of plan A, <laughs> that Chelsea couldn't even consider a plan B until they got plan A right. And I think with the Arsenal game, he... he he almost wanted to give the team the security of playing the same system that they played the the week before, but it didn't quite work because, of course, Mikel Arteta has eyes and he'd watched <laughs> Chelsea's success against Tottenham and, and set up accordingly. But um, I think it shows that it's a good sign for Lampard that he was proactive, um, that he recognised his mistakes. There wasn't any ego. You know, he, 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 he just wants to win. And I think he picks the, the best approach both within games as well as before games. He, he goes with what he believes to try and win games. And I think that change against Arsenal was interesting because you know he's been compared a lot and likened to Jose Mourinho because he played for, for so long under him. But I don't think they're particularly similar, but that was one thing that Mourinho was famously very good at. He was happy to just completely change his system after half an hour. So I thought that was an interesting link towards Mourinho. But in general, I think he's... I mean, he's been quite patient, I think, with with his team and, and with players. He's tended to wait until a little bit further in the second half. But uh, yeah, has shown his, his ability to change the game when necessary. And still talking more broadly, Liam, anything that stands out as really consistent within Chelsea's playing style this season, a possession-based approach would be a loose term I could chuck at you maybe? Sure. So regardless of what system Chelsea set up with, Lampard wants to have the ball as much as possible. And I think the profile of Chelsea's midfielders really suits that, particularly Jorginho, Mateo Kovacic. And Golo Kante is a lot better on the ball than a lot of people give him credit for. Um, And so Chelsea are are really set up to, to, to dominate the ball against most teams. And he also wants the ball to move quickly. And I think that's why Jorginho has immediately become an important part of, of the identity he's trying to build. Because while Jorginho himself doesn't move very quickly, he does know how to move the ball, switch the point of attack. Lampard is, is looking to do that wherever possible. And, and some of the games where they've struggled at home, it has been where they haven't moved the ball quickly enough. And, and maybe it's been dependent on the centre-backs to try and do Jorginho's job, essentially, when, when he's been marked out of the game. Yeah, I feel like that's been one of the key features of the the three home defeats to West Ham and Bournemouth and Southampton. Chelsea haven't really been pressed that heavily. It's almost like opponents are happy for the centre-backs to have the ball, focus on shutting down the midfield and deny kind of passing options between the lines. And I felt that Chelsea's players could be, or Chelsea's defenders in particular, could be a bit braver in possession. Because I think that's one thing they did really well under Sarri. Obviously, David Luiz was pinging some great diagonal passes, but I also thought Rudiger was really good coming forward with the ball, not necessarily creating things, but just attracting opponents and opening up space. 
And I mean, you look at Chelsea's centre-backs, they are good in possession, but it's almost like that's maybe not something they've actually worked on on the training ground yet and maybe something that can improve in the future. Well, I think part of the problem is that Rudiger was injured to start the season and he still looks like he's trying to find his rhythm and, and that kind of bravery on the ball that you talk about. I think Andreas Christensen has been having a kind of broader crisis of confidence. He's probably Chelsea's best centre-back in possession in terms of the passing. He's got the one... Maybe none of them quite have the David Luiz ceiling in terms of just being a, an all-world passer from from centre back, but Christensen is probably the closest to to offering that to this Chelsea team. And Lampard has, has spoken in recent weeks really positively about Christensen and the player that he can become. So I think he's invested in trying to get him to fulfil that role in this team long term. That's the central defensive conundrum. What about those outside of them, the fullbacks, the wingbacks, Liam? In terms of personnel, who Chelsea have, who Lampard has at his disposal, how much do you think that has affected both his game plans and how they have developed over the course of the season? Yes, I think the fullback positions have been a problem for Chelsea at times this year, particularly in those home games against teams that they are expected to dominate and expected to to pin back and really beat. Because when... When teams like West Ham, Bournemouth, Southampton have been content to sit deep and really give Chelsea the wide areas um, and the the wingers have kind of been swarmed, it's on the fullbacks to bomb on and really supply good crosses. And Chelsea have actually um, delivered a lot of crosses in all of those games, if you look at the statistics, but the, the quality of delivery was really, really poor. Um, and I think part of that is that, you know, Cesar Azpilicueta, is an excellent one-on-one defender, very sound, fundamental player on on that end, but isn't very good at crossing a moving ball. He he was much better under Conte when he was a centre-back. The ball could be rolled to him and it was almost like a free kick into Alvaro Morata from a deeper position. And uh, on the left, Emerson doesn't get as many crosses in as you would expect him to, given how mobile he is and how aggressive he can be with his running. Alonso is a little bit better at that, but he is not trusted on the other end by Lampard. He's not a natural fullback. He's very much a wingback, which is why I think the one time he really looked like the the Marcus Alonso that we've known in his Chelsea career was away at Tottenham when he was allowed to play that wingback role again. This is why I think now and in the weeks and months to come, Reese James has a really important role to play at Chelsea because he is the one maybe not quite as good as Trent Alexander-Arnold at Liverpool, but he is comfortably the best crosser in the Chelsea squad at 20. He's got a lot of potential for growth. And uh, particularly in those home games, he's a real, real weapon. We saw that against Burnley when Burnley tried to do the same as as other recent Chelsea opponents at Stamford Bridge, and they couldn't do it because the combination of Callum Hudson-Odoi and Rhys James on the right-hand side really just hemmed them in and battered them. And Michael, it's important in a more general sense for the larger Premier League teams trying to reach Liverpool's position that their fullbacks do impact the game in an attacking sense. That's a trend over the last few years that seems to have become more and more important. Yeah, definitely. Often, I think in these home games, they're the players who are getting the time on the ball, certainly the, the defenders and, and the uh, the fullbacks as well. I mean, I think. Um, I struggle to... Emerson's one of those players where he's... Because he's not great defensively, you kind of think he should be very effective going forward, and I'm not sure he is. And I think a couple of games this season he's really caused Chelsea problems. I mean, that game against Arsenal where uh, Lampard made made the early switch, usually if you're moving from five defenders to four, you, you take off a centre-back and the full-backs or the wing-backs would tuck in to become full-backs. But he was so desperate to get Emerson off the pitch that he ended up putting... 
Chelsea's right back to left back and the left side is centre back to right back and basically reorganised the entire defence just to cover up the weaknesses of Emerson, which I think was quite telling. Well, he was getting caught up field time and again in that game, but not because he was actually doing anything. Mm. He would often get the ball in advanced positions and his instinct too often is just to pass the ball back in field. And it's almost an abdication of responsibility when you have it, when you have the physical capabilities that Emerson does. He does have the technical skill to beat a man one-on-one more than maybe most fullbacks, certainly more than Alonso does. Mm. He has the speed. Um, and I think you know he, he, he could do more in the final third if he was maybe a little bit more aggressive. Occasionally, he, he is a little bit too passive. And he also, his movement doesn't necessarily complement the left winger. He doesn't work in tandem with them to stretch opposition teams all too often I've seen this season he'll almost make the same run as the winger or he'll run into the space that the winger wants to go into and then Chelsea's attack kind of gums up on that side and they have to go back into midfield and and recycle. Uh, While Alonso's fallen out of favour somewhat and lost his place to Emerson I'm struck by the fact that if Lampard would would be interested in using a a, a five-man defence or at least a wing-back system that is where Alonso had his best ever season, his greatest success so far under Conte. Would that, do you think, open the door for him to to come back into the side in that scenario? Yeah, definitely. I think we saw in that game a way to Tottenham that that, that Alonso's success or failure at Chelsea is very much situational. You know, in that system, he can be a real, real asset. But in any other system, any system that requires him to be a fullback with not much protection in front of him, he becomes a liability very, very quickly. And um, I don't see Lampard going to a five-man defence constantly. One, because the results have been inconsistent. You know, some weeks it's worked really, really well, but there have been other games. My mind goes back to the Valencia game at home when he just won 5-2 at Wolves and, and went with the same system against Valencia at home. They did not control that game at all. They probably shouldn't have lost it, but they, they certainly didn't deserve to win it. And uh, and the other reason is because you're trying to build this team long term around two wingers in Christian Pulisic and Callum Hudson-Odoi and, and it's harder to get either wingers into the team or as many central midfielders as Chelsea have. You have to you have to sacrifice bodies in one area or the other. So I can't see that long term being Chelsea's identity. Now here on the Zonal Marking podcast, we are bang up to date with tactical trends, but not always to the same extent when it comes to fashion trends. The good news is that this athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, which is an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. From there, you fill in a style quiz and tell them all about your personal style, budget, size, shape, and all the measurements that you didn't know existed. A personal stylist then sends you five items of clothing, handpicked especially for you from a selection of brands. You try on everything at home and style it out with other items from your wardrobe. And then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For the stylist's time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. So you try before you buy, at home, delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Stitch Fix allows you to save time, because they do the shopping for you, to discover new styles, because they've got a broad selection 
of different styles and brands, and to enjoy top styling tips as well. These are experts that give you ideas on how to wear the items they pick out for you. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X.co.uk forward slash athletic. Let's run through some individual games now, uh, some of Chelsea's billboard fixtures of the season so far. Michael, we'll start on opening weekend with a 4-0 defeat at Old Trafford against Manchester United. Uh, It seems now to be widely accepted as a scoreline that didn't truly reflect the game. Uh, What were Chelsea's tactics in this, the, the first game under Lampard in the league? I think the most striking thing was how brave they were with their positioning and their pressing. I mean, it was almost like they were playing a front four at times and really trying to get on United's fullbacks uh, from the outset. I mean, I thought they were excellent in that game and uh, it was a funny one. So this was our first week as athletic reporters and I was tasked with reporting on this game. And for Manchester United to win 4-0 and my article was all about how good Chelsea would, had been. <laughs> it felt like quite a brave first article when you're trying to get people to you know, come on board. But I think the subsequent weeks has shown from both sides that that was a, an unfair reflection. And I mean, the most striking thing from that game for me was uh, Mason Mount, just his intelligence and his positioning. He wasn't someone who I saw much of last season uh, when he was at Derby, but I thought his just his willingness to receive the ball in different positions and his ability to exploit space in the opposition defence... I thought, wow, this is a player that Chelsea can really build the team around. And I think he's been an interesting player because he's played in various roles. He's played as the number 10. If Lampard's played 4-3-3, sometimes he's been on the left, sometimes he's been deeper as a number 8, the kind of position Lampard used to play. So I think that kind of flexibility says something about, um, you know, almost the new breed of, of attacking players. There was a time when a player like that would just be a number 8. You know, the Gerard Lampard debate, how do you get them into the same team? Whereas now we've got more flexible players and... Uh, I think Lampard will appreciate that as someone who doesn't have a defined system. Mount's almost become the symbol, I think, of this team and, and of what Lampard's trying to build. As you say, he's a very modern attacking midfielder because actually on the ball, he's not super creative, but he is very good at keeping possession even under pressure. When he doesn't have it, his his ability to press is relentless. <laughs> I don't know, he, he must have an extra lung that he's, he's borrowed from N'Golo Kante at times this season because... He, he covers so much ground. He rarely gets rested. Uh, he works positionally very well in tandem with Tammy Abraham when he plays just behind him. He, I think he still has a little ways to go in his game in terms of decision-making in the final third, which you would expect from a young player. But his, his versatility and, and, and his all-around work rate with and without the ball, I think, has, has really summed up Lampard's Chelsea and, and vindicated, actually, the key decision that Lampard had going into the season which was who to make his number 10, Mason Mount or Ross Barkley. Now, it seems like a ludicrous question now, but Barkley had a really good pre-season. They were probably the two Chelsea's two best performers. And Lampard made that decision clear at Old Trafford on the opening weekend, and it's been increasingly vindicated week on week. And Liverpool came to town towards the end of September. Liam, how did that game look tactically? What was Lampard's approach? Well, I think... The, the key thing about Chelsea's approach to, to taking on Liverpool was how wide they tried to play. I think not many teams try and take on Liverpool <laughs> down the wings as much as Chelsea did, but I think they actually had quite a lot of success in doing it. 
and uh, and and if you look at the the xG from that game, Chelsea actually had a better xG than Liverpool. Uh, I know that's very that's the real quiz <laughs> um, when, when you're talking about football, but it it did speak to how well Chelsea played. And and Tammy Abraham, I remember, had a massive one-on-one chance that that he missed. Chelsea really came into it particularly in the second half. It did feel like Liverpool were more in control of the game in the first half, even when they didn't have the ball. And Chelsea's weaknesses, defending set pieces, were were ruthlessly exploited, uh, first by Alexander-Arnold's brilliant free kick, but then the you know the wide free kick that was almost like a corner was actually one of the moments that prompted Lampard to rethink how Chelsea set up defending set pieces after that. Yeah, there was a couple of injuries in that game as well. I think uh, Christensen and Emerson both had to go off injured, so it wasn't a game where Lampard had too many subs to change things. I thought that was one of the games where it was a bit of a lesson for Lampard and for Chelsea overall because... It was 4-3-3 against 4-3-3 and there was a big difference in the way that the defensive midfielders played without the ball. So when Fabinho had the ball, Jorginho would kind of just stay in position and protect his centre-backs. But when Jorginho had the ball, Fabinho would really push up and get tight. And I think, uh, I mean, much as I like Jorginho, I think he's a brilliant player on the ball. I think it showed that, you know, it's it's so tough to be a defensive midfielder these days because you've got to be a real all-rounder. And I think Fabinho is probably along with Fernandinho, is is one of the few players in the Premier League who really has both sides to his game like that. And, you know, maybe it's something Chelsea have to compensate for with the use of Kante and the use of other players because I don't think Jorginho is ever going to be that mobile and that physical. Well, this is the really compelling question with Jorginho going forward because he is a a player with such defined strengths and weaknesses that he is quite tricky to build around mm. as a kind of foundational piece because he is so good at setting the tempo for a team really calming a team down in possession and 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 working the ball from side to side at the right times and and putting people in positions to succeed but without the ball not only is he not physical and he can be he can be bullied as we saw in that game but he also doesn't have the instincts to track people that run beyond him and and that's also the case actually with Mateo Kovacic and even N'Golo Kante Kante is a brilliant seek and destroy midfielder but once people run past him and they're making late runs into the penalty area that's not really his strength either so long term that's a question I think Chelsea maybe need to address because that's been a consistent weakness this year and maybe it's just one of those trade-offs you have to make when you're building a team around Jorginho what did you make of the fact, or what have you made of the fact that for Lampard's predecessor, Maurizio Sarri, the roles of Jorginho and Kante in this team were something of a, a sticking point, uh, became a stick to beat him with as well. So what have you made of Lampard's usage of those two midfield players? Pretty much exactly the same. <laughs> um, I, it's not something Chelsea fans want to admit because... Obviously, Lampard doing it is far more palatable than Sarri doing it. And Jorginho got a lot of stick last season for being the symbol of Sarri and and nothing really that he personally did wrong on the pitch. He's doing all the same things. He's still the deepest line midfielder. He's still playing most of his passes five five yards or shorter, although he is occasionally playing those first-time balls over the top, maybe slightly more than last year. And Kante is still playing more on the right-hand side, more box-to-box, which was always more of his role anyway albeit more in a midfield two than a three but he's never been a a sitting midfielder so um, I think Lampard has has chosen sensibly with the personnel he has whether that's long term the best makeup of the next great Chelsea team's midfield is a different question but for the players that he has right now I think he's he's chosen sensibly and he has maybe 
the one thing he has changed is Kante isn't making quite so many Lampard-esque runs into the box as Sarri was asking him to last year. Yeah, I always feel slightly sorry when a player follows a manager to a new club because their success or failure individually is just judged completely on how the team does. So it reminds me a little bit of a completely different player. But Fellaini, when he went to Manchester United, OK, he wasn't particularly effective. But United's problems were not because of Fellaini. It was just because he was Moyes' man from his old club and got the blame. But yeah, I thought it was a really silly debate last year, to be honest. And uh, I think Lampard is... You have to give him some credit because I think, obviously, he went there as a popular figure. It would be easy to kind of, you know, play the the almost the Solskjaer card and do what the fans want rather than making the brave decision of okay that was one part that I want to go with uh, going forward so I've I've enjoyed seeing Jorginho play a little bit more consistently this season and maybe with more acclaim from supporters because at Napoli he was just a sensationally good talent and uh, probably still hasn't quite reached that level but he's been much better I think Liverpool left Stamford Bridge with a 2-1 win uh, and that was the same scoreline against Chelsea uh, for Man City when they went to the Etihad Stadium. City 2-1 winners. Michael, how did Lampard get on in his first game against Pep Guardiola? I thought they did really well actually. Looking at it from the City perspective, this was the game where I thought actually I'm really not sure that they have the talent or have the the level to win the league this season because I thought they were completely outplayed by Chelsea in the first half. I was very surprised at how little Silver and Aguero were doing without the ball and I think Chelsea completely took advantage of that with Jorginho and Kovacic in deep positions, usually towards the left of the pitch. They were really dominating the game and it was really nice to see the goal with Kante going through because that was another kind of demonstration of the fact he can do that. It was a quite a good finish as well. Um, and the other key factor I thought of the game was was Pulisic and Willian coming in from the flanks and really causing Rodri all kinds of bother. I think Rodri was substituted in that game and didn't start the next weekend because he really looked quite overrun at times. I guess the the caveat here is this is the third game in a row we're saying Chelsea were really good and didn't, didn't uh, pick up any points in a big game. But I think you have to have some kind of patience and some kind of faith with a young side and a young manager that, you know, the basics are in place and... The end product will come at a slightly later date. And Liam, I'm not exactly sure what the XG was in this game, but another that's the real quiz line to throw at you. It was the lowest percentage of possession that Pep Guardiola has ever had in a league game uh, at any of his clubs, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, and now Manchester City, just 46.7% possession. That was another indication of, of, of what Lampard's about, I suppose. Yeah, and I think it was also an indication of what a midfield tandem of Jorginho and Mateo Kovacic can do even against really good teams. They they interpreted the space so well, they played so well in tight areas, they were never afraid to receive the ball. Even watching that game, I felt that they were really walking a tightrope though, based on, I, I think Man City or any team Pep Guardiola coaches is the most dangerous team in world football when they don't have the ball. Everyone talks about how good Guardiola's teams are with the ball, but their pressing is just incredible. I, I know you mentioned that Silva and Aguero weren't necessarily doing as much, but I still felt that City were asking Chelsea quite exacting questions. And the times when they did win the ball, De Bruyne scored and then suddenly they were able to turn defence into attack. But I did think, broadly speaking, Chelsea played very well in the first half an hour. They weren't really at a stage that season as well where they were stringing 90-minute performances together. And, and, and that's an, another element of this when you have young players and a, and a t team still trying to find itself. And the other thing that really struck me in that game, particularly in the early stages, was how much Tammy Abraham was kind of bullying City centre-backs, particularly where, without Amerit Laporte there. 
Um, he was getting the ball with his back to goal, laying it off. Chelsea were winning the second balls and really building from there whenever City tried to press high. And that's been an element of Tammy Abraham's game that's really come on in the last few months and, and continues to be an important part of how Chelsea want to play. And finally, a good memory for Chelsea fans in terms of results, uh, the win against Tottenham. Liam, to what extent did Frank Lampard outwit Jose Mourinho in this game? He out-tacticed him, didn't he? <laughs> um, yeah, I think it, it really was an old-school kind of um, out-manoeuvring. I, I don't think Mourinho was prepared for Chelsea to, to go back to a back three. I think it hadn't been since October that Chelsea had even played that formation. But they had a full week going into this game to prepare, which is something that they hadn't had for much of, of, of the frantic sort of winter schedule. And um, and they used the width of the pitch extremely well. I mean, you, you have... Mourinho said afterwards that they played Antonio Conte's system and that was that was fair and unfair. But there were enough players in that team that were comfortable playing in that style, most notably Alonso. I think it really enabled him to to plug in and, and and play his best level. And Willian played arguably the best game of his Chelsea career in, the, in that game. Um, I just thought Chelsea were constantly picking the ball up in places where Tottenham players weren't prepared for them to pop up. And the crowd got on their back and it, and it really built into what was quite a surreal atmosphere at Tottenham Stadium and, and, and enabled Chelsea to be quite comfortable in the end. Yeah, I thought it was all about the wing-backs. You know, it's the obvious thing to say when you switch to that system, but with and without the ball, you know, Spurs had been playing the system in Mourinho's first few games where they shifted to almost a front five in possession and Lampard's system meant they could play five on five and they weren't troubled with overloads down the flanks as other sides had uh, had been. And then with the ball, you know, particularly Alonso, you know, as we've spoken about previously, was just constantly getting the ball in the pocket of space. And uh, yeah, it was it was unusual, I think, to see Mourinho really outwitted like that usually if the opposition have a surprise he's good at responding to it but I didn't really see any response there and I think that was you know away at Tottenham as well a big game for Chelsea surely Lampard's most kind of satisfying win especially when you go back to the the 4-0 to Manchester United we spoke about on the opening day of the season when Mourinho was a pundit and was quite critical of Lampard really as someone you know he'd worked with him at, at Chelsea on two occasions was saying, you know, they were pressing too high, they weren't compact enough. He was criticising Abraham and Mount, essentially saying they weren't really up to the job at that point. So for him to go away to Tottenham, of course, at that time, he wouldn't have been expecting to face Mourinho at uh, at Tottenham Stadium. But to go there and inflict, a, I think, a first defeat on Mourinho at Tottenham was uh, a big moment for him. We've touched on the Arsenal game earlier, a victory for Chelsea, perhaps in spite of of the initial tactics of Frank Lampard in that game. I want to go back to these home games against teams in the bottom half in which Chelsea have, have a poor record in the last few months. Defeats to West Ham, Bournemouth, Southampton, but a victory against Burnley on the weekend. Something of a monkey off the back, uh, albeit in a small time frame of this Chelsea team. Lampard's spoken in press conferences about how to beat a low block defence, how to do better against these sides. Uh, what have you seen in reality? A, a change in style or is it a case of just continuing to work hard? <laughs> I think there have been tweaks of personnel and tweaks of style. You saw the team that he picked against Burnley was basically a cry out for, for a goal from midfield. He picked Barkley and Mount in the midfield three, which he hasn't done very often this season. And um, and there was a real emphasis on switching the ball wide at every opportunity, particularly 
to Callum Hudson Odoi and Reese James, who who dovetailed really, really well and, and and stretched Burnley. I mean, there were still times in that game where it could have panned out very differently. You know, Burnley had a a set piece goal ruled out for VAR on the strength of millimeters, and um, and there was another shot, another header that was cleared off the line. So there were moments when it could have turned into another one of those home days, but. I think there was an, an element of Chelsea being slightly more clinical, which again, when you're depending on young players to provide your cutting edge, you can't rely on every single week. You've written about a great underperformance in terms of expected goals at mm. home this season. One, you know, the greatest underperformance in the Premier League this season. Yeah, it was crazy. Going into that Burnley game, they were expected to have scored 22 goals at home, which would have been third best in the league behind Liverpool and City and, and clearly not a story, but they'd, they'd only scored 11. And, as much as you can say part of that is is not obviously not good finishing, an underperformance of that level is clearly unsustainable over the course of a whole season. It, there will be some rectifying of that. And I think uh, maybe Abraham's header from James's cross, which Nick Pope should have saved, was the, the start of that happening. Michael... Issues breaking down teams that defend in a low block, it's not an unusual problem for a team to have. Chelsea are not the only big team in the Premier League struggling with that this season. But Liverpool and Manchester City, the teams that Chelsea and Frank Lampard strive to compete with, they don't seem to have these issues. How can Chelsea close that gap, do you think? As I said before, I think... The defenders could be a little bit braver in possession. I think they can bring the ball forward more. I think sometimes there's been a slight... It's been slightly uncertain what Lampard's plan B is. The game at home to West Ham in particular, he took off Giroud and brought on Hudson-Odoi, essentially played without a striker with Pulisic up front. But then they just seem to keep on crossing the ball. And it's like, well, if you're going to do that, you probably want Giroud on. Giroud, of course, is the classic uh, plan B. But I think, again, it's worth having some patience with, with Chelsea. I mean, for... Two, three seasons we said about Liverpool, their problem is deep defences. They can press, they can counter-attack, but they can't break down deep defences. I think it's about familiarisation of players, just working on the training ground more at those passing combinations. They've certainly got the players to do it. Um, Maybe they could do with a little bit more individual quality. Those games are the kind of games that Hazard would win single-handedly last year. And much as Pulisic, I think, has broadly done well, I don't think we should underestimate how difficult it is to lose a player who was probably your best goal scorer, your best assister. The entire attacking system. Yeah. So I think all those things considered, you know, the transfer ban, that kind of thing. I think Chelsea are really at a a higher level than I expected uh, by this stage. The one final element of this in terms of the home games is the goal that Callum Hudson-Odoi scores against Burnley. And Lampard says afterwards... You know, I'd asked him, does it make it even more pleasing that this was the kind of run you're urging your wingers to make when the ball goes wide? And he said he was more excited to see Hudson Odoi score from six yards than 35 because these are the runs that he's asking his wingers to make when the ball is wide on the other side. And they've not been doing that enough this year. He's been instructing Christian Pulisic to make like those Raheem Sterling type runs in off the left. And it's something that comes more naturally to him, I think, than to Hudson Odoi, who's much more used to having the ball to feet and trying to beat a man from there um, but there, there were promising signs of improvement there and I think that's something that Lampard will continue to stress going forward. Lampard played under a number of different managers in his time at Chelsea everyone's their own man is there anyone that Frank Lampard played under 
at Chelsea whose philosophies, whose styles you are reminded of when watching Lampard's Chelsea? You know, it's really hard to pinpoint a particular Chelsea manager that he would cite as a, as a big influence. I, when I look at Lampard's overall tactical approach, it seems to be far more taken from the prevailing tactical trends of, of the age, really, of, of, of Guardiola, of Klopp, of Pochettino. You know, there, there seem to be elements of all of those different coaches in his game, certainly more so than you would look at someone like Mourinho and, and, and say he, he's a proactive possession coach. He wants to press. He wants, he wants to play in the opposition half wherever possible. He wants to move the ball quickly and, and use the full width of the pitch to, to stretch opponents um, and also to play out really aggressively from the back, even under pressure, which has gotten Chelsea into trouble at times this season, partly because... I think the centre-backs aren't necessarily um, best equipped to do it, but it's something that he's clearly pinned his, his colours to the mast to, really. So I think he, he's, he's much more closer to, to a philosophy-type manager uh, than, than maybe we could have anticipated before he went into management. And I don't think Chelsea have had too many of those in the Abramovich era. Something that excites you moving forward, Michael, as the Athletics tactical expert, continuing to cover Frank Lampard and, and this Chelsea side in terms of strategy? I guess the excitement for me more comes from the fact that they're at a higher level than I thought. And I think maybe next season or the season after they can actually move forward and challenge because I really didn't expect that from this side at the start of the season. Um, you know, on my predictions, I had them... I think sixth, you know, well outside of Champions League contention. So maybe not so much in a tactical sense. I think he's interesting tactically without doing anything particularly new or particularly uh, specific. But I just think the general level of the side has been uh, really impressive. And uh, yeah, looking forward to the development of the likes of uh, Mount and Tamori as well, because they're, you know, really exciting players who already seem at a really high level. That's all for this week's Zonal Marking podcast. Thank you to Michael Cox and to Liam Toomey for their expert analysis of Frank Lampard and his Chelsea team in a tactical sense. Uh, Shout out producer Teo as well. If you like what you've heard today, you'd like to read more of the expert insight of Liam and of Michael and a whole host of other fantastic football writers Subscribe to The Athletic today, theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking. That's all one word, zonal marking. will get you 40% off the website subscription going forward. Michael, in terms of what a prospective subscriber could look forward to from you in the next coming days and weeks? Uh, a bit of a mixture. There's the usual kind of tactical analysis of recent matches, looking at a couple of uh, the strikers who've been linked with Premier League clubs and might be making an impact. Um, and what else? Something on Barcelona and their current struggles, seemingly on the verge of parting ways with Valverde either now or at the end of the season. Rumours that Xavi Hernandez will come in. So, yeah, a, a very uh, a wide mix of content, I would say. Liam, as you said, never boring on the Chelsea beat. A Champions League tie coming up. Yeah, it's it's going to be a big one, certainly one that, that Chelsea are, are big underdogs for. Uh, I will be in Munich for that one and we're, we're working on some big ideas around that tie. In terms of this week on the pitch, I'm, I'm doing a piece on Rhys James, trying to compare him with Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and the role of the modern fullback. And we've got a big piece, me and Simon Johnson, later this week on, on Kepa, the, the Kepa conundrum, as it were, that Chelsea are currently trying to answer. Brilliant. Well, thank you for listening, guys. We'll be back again next week with another Zonal Marking podcast. And a reminder that to sign up, to subscribe to The Athletic today, 
Use the offer code theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking for 40% off. 